Greetings, and welcome to Beatles Stuffology, where two old friends sit about and talk BS, Beatles stuff, on a track-by-track basis pretty much for the sake of it. My name is JG McCoy, and I'm here with my co-host Andrew Deacon. Say hi, Andrew. Hello, JG. How are you doing on this fine, fine day? I am doing fine. That's how I'm doing. How fine are you doing on this fine day? I'm 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 doing really fine, and um, in particular, I'm I'm looking forward to talking about this um, this track, which is "I'll Cry Instead," or as I will put it, "Wonder Why Ringo Didn't Sing This One." Um, <laughs> that's a very that's a very valid question because I was going to say I wonder why George didn't sing this one, but okay. But before we get into that, um, we'll do what we always do at the top of the show now, which is our little section. You can really get a hold of us, so you can contact us by email. We are Beatlesstuffology at gmail.com We are on Twitter at Beatles underscore ology, and you can find my blog at www.jgmcquarry.scot, and you can read Andrew's blog at www.stuffology. Co.uk. And as you say, we're talking about I'll Cry Instead. So uh, go on, ask your own question. Why didn't Ringo sing this one? Well, before we do that, I, I'm just very impressed that something that got thrown out as a joke has now become uh, an actual name for a feature. So the uh, you can really <laughs> yeah, get we, We've got us. a feature and we're not afraid to use it. <laughs> well, and we, we're not afraid to use a, um, a, a title that we just kind of made up on the spot. But, you know, it seems to work. So, OK, right. I'll Cry Instead is, is, a, is a funny one, really, isn't it? Um, because it sort of works. It sort of doesn't work. It was put forward for the film, but rejected for the film. It's pretty darn short, actually, although there is a sort of a difference in the length between the stereo and the mono mixes, which, quite frankly, is technical detail that doesn't really interest me. You are more than welcome to expand on that. Um, and I'm sure there are other Beatles podcasts who who you know are able to discuss that in, in much greater detail um, than I would be able to do. But I, th- I think there's, there's lots of potential things where you could get into, you know, um, almost a series um, of links um, based on this song. And, and I think the fact that it's country tinged is is one of those areas that it's worth exploring, which is one of the reasons why I suggested that um, maybe this was a song that Ringo should have sung. Because of the four Beatles, I'd say that Ringo is the one who's a little bit more synonymous with um, um, with country music. So, you know, you thought that maybe this could have been the opportunity to, to really give it a go. So, um, yeah, what do you think? Um, yeah, it's a very slight composition. Um, it's not... Yeah, there's just not an awful lot to it. Um, like my, my, my question about um, why George didn't sing it is is because it has that kind of, like, we've just knocked something out for George to sing quality to it, you know. Mm. It, it, it feels to me very much of uh, like side twos, I'm happy just to dance with you. And I think that's kind of slightly reinforced by the vocal that Lennon is giving as well. It's surprisingly, uh, how can I put this? Uh, it, it's a bit thin for his voice, particularly if you compare it um, to the, the previous song on the album, if you compare it to... Um, any time at all like Lennon has got a bit of rock going on in his voice there he's got a bit of you know a bit of grunt it's not you know the best song in the world but you know Lennon has got some 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 grit in the vocal here his voice sounds kind of thin I think honestly if I didn't know better if somebody just pointed and said do you think that's George Harrison I'd probably go 
Yeah, it kind of could be. It's 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 a weirdly thin kind of voice for him, and that kind of that alongside the kind of fairly flimsy nature of the material makes it seem like it's one of those songs they've just quickly knocked off for for George to get his teeth into. Which is interesting because, of course, that it was a song that was originally put forward um, for the film, but it wasn't then recorded until the very last session. So everything had been. Um, Everything had been filmed. Everything was, you know, working its way through the um, the editing suite. Um, and Richard Lester already said, no, nah, I don't want that song for the film. Thank you very much. I will take um, Can't Buy Me Love. But they still record it and it still goes on the album, um, which I, I find quite interesting for a song that has been rejected um, to still make it on, which, which maybe suggests that despite the fact that they are at the time also recording you know things like matchbox the carl perkins cover maybe they didn't want to put a cover on this album um you know obviously it's the the one of the early albums that doesn't have covers on so there must have been you know a reason why lennon was was fighting for this song even though it's you know even he would have admitted it's it's not exactly up there in with a grade material um, but there, I mean, there, there's there's tons of interesting things that, that we can sort of get into with this. I, I think the country link is is a really um, good place to start because um, I mean there there are so many little links um, to to cut. Liverpool is according to Ringo um, regarded as being the home of country music in the UK. Now that could just be hyperbole on his part. I've not necessarily found um, a massive uh, weight of evidence um, that supports that, but you could sort of see why if um, an awful lot of people were getting um, blues records, uh, rhythm and blues and early rock and roll records from, you know, the people transferring um, or transiting through Liverpool uh, off the, the cruise ships and off the, the merchant navy ships and the cargo ships, um, that they may also have therefore been um, an awful lot of country music records around in Liverpool for people to listen to as well. And that certainly seems to be one of the, the um, you know, the early incarnations of Rory Storm and, and the Hurricanes seems to have been Jet Storm and the Raging Texans. However, OK, right, I'm, I'm going to go with the, the, the full the full disclosure here, because if you start reading around this, you know, opinions differ, because I've also read that um, at some point um, before he joined Rory Storm and the Hurricanes, apparently Ringo was in a band called the Raving Texans. Now, I get the feeling that that's not true. Um, there certainly seems to be more people talking about um, the Raging Texans than the Raving Texans, but something seems to have got a little lost in, in translation. But there does seem to be that early um, incarnation of, of Rory Storm and the Hurricanes that are playing something a bit more than skiffle and something a bit more countryfied. And there are pictures of the Beatles in Hamburg in cowboy boots as well, um, you know, along with their, their leather get-up before they are then you know, more um, tailored for the um, suburban market by uh, Brian Epstein a little bit later. Um, so, you know, there, there are sort of hints around there. There are those links to, to country and Western. And of course, we're going to get things like Act Naturally uh, coming up um, a little bit later as well. But one um, one thing that, that I sort of do want to um, refer to, it's a uh, uh, is a, a country website that is linked to Liverpool. It's called thecountryofliverpool.com. 
um, and on a page that talks about Beatles songs with country roots the writer somewhat flippantly does talk about putting together a um, a Beatles album of, of Beatles songs uh, of sorry of country songs um, except they're all drawn from Beatles for sale and help which I thought was a bit weird um, you know I, I, I get the um, you know um, at naturally element of it um, but it does then sort of draw in quite a few others that I'm not really sure you would sort of think of as uh, um, as country. But, you know, that's fine. And obviously it ignores I'll Cry Instead, which just has that that feel of, um, you know, it's not kind of classic country. It's not exactly, um, you know, Billy Connolly's um, Country and Western Super Song, um, which is uh, obviously the height of, of country and um you know i i i have american in-laws and i think on the the second trip over there I was asked if i liked any country music to which i replied that i owned a couple of um graham parsons albums and um john wesley harding the uh the bob dylan album and and the faces dropped and they're all lovely people but i don't think they regard bob dylan um even <laughs> at that face and and graham parsons is as being country um so yeah Fair enough. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's not not the kind of classic, and it's not the storytelling country as well. I mean, it's worth, um, you know, at some point perhaps going back and listening to one of those Malcolm Gladwell podcasts because he talks about on one of them about country music as being, um, you know, a type of songwriting that's different from normal pop music because there's a sense of development, there's a sense of narrative, um, whereas in pop and rock there's much more of a sense of of, of repetition. But um, you know, that's that's for. That's for another time. There's there's a follow up for you. I would say read the um um read the episode notes, but we don't really write episode notes in in that way. Just just basically search Malcolm Gladwell and country music, and I'm sure you'll find something to disagree with. Excellent. Uh, for for what it's worth, um, country music is really uh big in in my own hometown of Glasgow, and for precisely the same reason, it is in in Liverpool. So that that connection there is is definitely something that um that resonates. So yeah, I I I. I don't have any difficulty um, sort of seeing that connection. I think it's interesting also, um, Act Naturally and I'll Cry Instead basically have the same chords in them as well. It's basically just a simple, uh, <laughs> very quickly I had to look that up, but yeah, it's basically just C, uh, G and D or uh, D seventh in the case of uh, Act Naturally. But yeah, they're basically exactly the same song and yet they're in it basically the same genre as well so that makes perfect sense um when it comes to i'll cry instead as well it, there's so many of those genres kind of overlap like you mentioned um skiffle obviously rockabilly is in there as well and that that those roots lead directly from elvis to the beatles as well as via sort of the country and western roots so there's loads and loads of um ways that that style and those genres of music overlap um I think with I'll Cry Instead, um, when it, I, I really want to do a kind of redemptive reading on it and try and up its up its quality to um, try and find something in it that that makes it less less slight than it is. And the best I can kind of come up with is that it is a genre parody, particularly that line like I've got a chip on my shoulder that's bigger than my feet. That. That has one of those, you know, I could, it, not that it is, but you could imagine that being a line in like Big Bad John or one of those kind of like sort of dead minor kind of songs that used to populate the charts of the, the late 50s and early 60s. You know, it's it's that kind of stuff. And it is, it is 
God, I'm going to have to use the word pastiche again, aren't I? Uh, it, but it, I don't think it really is a pastiche, though. I, I think that's I think that's too harsh. I think it is just trying to to write in a genre, but one that actually at this point the Beatles haven't really spent much time investigating. It's a genre that's incredibly important to them. It's an in, incredibly important in terms of the recording. They've recorded material which isn't a million miles away for this, but they haven't really tackled it directly. Haven't really gone at it head on and so if this is a, a a slightly flimsy example of it i think we can also take it as a first trip around the block when it comes to writing rather than simply performing this kind of material okay so um um pastiche fair enough mcdonald does refer to it as as a pastiche but there are plenty of people who seem to find an awful lot of sincerity uh in this song in particular sincerity in terms of the the lyrics i know you were mentioning some of the um the, the slightly more humorous uh, elements of it but there are there, there does seem to be this this view that that lennon here is actually expressing um of something of himself um perhaps in a way that they're almost suggesting he's not in other places which is odd because the lyrics here are um they're sort of a slightly lighter version of uh, you can't do that really um and and i wonder how much we can take them seriously i mean even even cynthia lennon seemed to be suggesting that he was expressing um a lot of frustration that this song was an example of his outpouring of emotion at being famous but not really having the the freedom to do the fun things that he was able to do um before he was famous and yeah okay if that is um to be accepted it's really odd that he's distilled that into something that is basically quite hateful. Um, and there's also suggestion in other places that um, during their time in Paris, they picked up a copy of the freewheeling Bob Dylan and were somehow then influenced to start writing more personal and effective um, yeah, lyrics. And that this is the example with which um, some people kind of um, um, tag it to. And I wonder why this and not I should have known better, for example. Um, it just seems a, a little odd. Uh, and maybe we, we try a bit too hard to paint Lennon out to be this sort of brooding, mysterious um, sort of figure. Because, you know, it, it kind of goes back to, um, you know, one of my points about lyrics. Um that I've made in previous episodes, but I'm not going to make that point again. Instead, I'm going to use um, Mr. Tim Key to uh, to make that point, who writing in, in The Guardian yesterday um, talked about the fact that lyrics go in one ear and out the other, so I don't actually know the lyrics to any songs. He says, I once lived in Kiev with a record player and a copy of A Hard Day's Night by The Beatles. I listened to it 400 times, but couldn't tell you any of the words. And I think that's fair. And I think if you listen to a lot of stuff on, on side two, you'd probably only um, end up being able to remember uh, the lyrics to things we said today. And you can't do that because the rest of it, I think, actually is pretty generic. Well, I think one of the things with the lyrics when it comes to this song is, is what you've mentioned already, which is that a lot of country and Western does come from that kind of ballad tradition, that ballady tradition of telling stories and, and having an actual narrative through the line of the song. If this song is to be taken as a... Again, I'm trying to avoid the word pastiche, but if this song is to be taken as a representation, let's say, of of country music or of that kind of genre, then the fact that this song has that narrative throughput doesn't 
detract from the fact that it could also have a degree of semi-autobiographical content to it, but it doesn't necessarily... I think it would make. I think it's very easy to have an overread on this song. The, the lyrics are pretty slight. Like, like they're a bit funny in the places, and they're a bit kind of um, like slightly confessional in places. But I think even if Lennon did mean this to have a degree of autobiographical content, it's it's kind of occluded by the the genre and the style that he's writing in to to the point where. I think it's a fairly slender read to rest that much analysis on. Yeah, and and they're not the only people who are um, are writing songs or uh, like this at the time. Um, you know, in the the middle of '64, uh, the Beach Boys um, release um, another one of their summertime albums um, that has a song called "Wendy" on it, which apparently is is quite a well regarded song in that period of the Beach Boys. And just to read you some of the lyrics, um, said, I never thought a guy could cry till you made it with another guy. Oh, Wendy, Wendy left me alone, hurt so bad. Wendy, Wendy, don't lose your head, lose your head. Wendy, don't believe a word he says. I can't picture you with him. His future looks awful dim. Oh, Wendy, Wendy, left me alone hurts so bad i mean it goes on and despite the fact that that kind of jumps sure around does. you know he seems to be talking to wendy and you know being really really upset that wendy's left and then talking about wendy and then talking about the fact that this other guy's life is going to be terrible presumably with wendy i don't know it's it's really really confused um but, you know, there are lots of these these types of songs out there, um, you know, that sort of jealous come, you know, revenge type thing. And, you know, interesting that the Beach Boys and Lennon are, are writing about about crying um, as well. And I suppose men showing their emotions, um, although it tends to be quite sort of pitiful. But of course, you know, the other thing that you could pick up on that is the fact that Wendy, well, there's an interesting name to include in a in a song title um but then it wasn't that much later they were writing help me Rhonda, help help me Rhonda." um but you know I'm, I'm sure you've you've probably got plenty of uh of song titles um or female names referred to in songs that you just sort of think mm, that's a bit weird um but one example is of mine is a band who, who i quite liked actually in their day um, you know, old um, the other Mister uh, Thumbs Aloft, um, Mark King of Level Forty Two, who bizarrely on the album where they really started to decline had a song called Tracy, which seems really odd. How some names work and some some don't. But before we recorded, JG, I promised you a Billy Bragg reference, so I'm going to drop in a Billy Bragg reference. Tracy is Go an odd it. name, an odd name for a song, but however, in Greetings for the New Brunette, uh, Mister Billy Bragg somehow makes Shirley work and boy does Shirley work in greetings for a new brunette but okay right so um without wishing to get too diverted onto uh, these sorts of topics um you know the the song Wendy is actually incredibly relevant at this point because we do like to draw in our, our contextual detail and there um they did perform the Beach Boys did perform this in in July 64 on the Ed Sullivan show and it really is worth watching because it is so anemic. They really look petrified. 
and that contrasts so much with just a few months before when you know the Beatles seemed to sort of take it as being their destiny that they were going to really grab this performance and and take hold of it um you know so it's fascinating to see the the beach boys in their their striped shirts and then the beatles in their suits and the confidence that one gives uh, that the other doesn't um and i think this is why the the country thing is is quite useful because you know the yeah the beatles are drawing on on country um you know on a musical tradition from america just as they've drawn on um you know rhythm and blues and and rock um and you know whatever variation of of, of skiffle um that the, the the uk skiffle bands were were drawing on with things like you know rock island line and uh, um there you go there's another sort of billy bag uh, link in there as well that's one of his favorite songs but I, I i never quite worked out what music tradition the beach boys fit into um other than than sort of thinking that um i wonder if that's a truer picture of what people think of um um as being america and i certainly think that that's a version of america that that some would prefer to remember um you know so perhaps on our, our you know baseball caps we should have make america surf music again um because i think that that's maybe that ideal version of of drive-ins and burger joints that some people still seem to think is uh, makes up america as opposed to all those other parts of America that, that gave us, you know, the country and, and the blues, um, that perhaps is, is, shall we say, slightly more real. Um, I just think that, you know, the Beach Boys exist only to, to sort of give American graffiti um, a little bit of an idea for its soundtrack. Okay, a few things to pick up on there, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I, um, I did kind of go down a few alleys with that. So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, that's, that's, good. that's good. At some point, um, we, we should maybe talk about the song that we're actually uh, talking about. But, you know, what, for the moment. Well, just before we do that, for, firstly, thank you very much for not one but two Billy Bragg references. That's always very much appreciated. Um, secondly, uh, Shaken Stevens released a song called Shirley. Um, just don't know why that's relevant wanted to mention yeah. it that 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 that, that Shirley is has been uh a, a, a name used in a song on on more than one occasion and even then that song is like some i think it's like some old standard or something from the 50s or 60s it's it's some some knackered old song by the time mr stevens gets his his grubby little protuberances on it um but yeah it's i, I don't i'm not that knowledgeable when it comes to the beach boys beyond the the, the big ticket items i've got to be honest but i think i think kind of the whole thing with um the Beach Boys is that in some ways it is that that parallel to to the Beatles, whereby they are essentially a genre in themselves. But kind of in the wake of that, there's just a whole bunch of other people who who kind of impersonate it. So they're kind of the first surf band, and then behind that, there's just a whole bunch of incredibly poor kind of imitation surf bands. And just like the Beatles broke through in this era, sixty three, sixty four, and have in their wake a whole bunch of generally really bad Mersey beat songs. Um, you could you could certainly draw a parallel there, but but meaningfully for all the influences that you can look at uh, on the Beatles and, and certainly when we're talking about country, when we're talking about rockabilly, uh, when we're talking about skiffle, um, they are functionally their own genre at this point. They won't remain that way forever, absolutely not, but right at this moment, they're kind of their own thing. They're certainly not pure rock and roll, they're certainly not 
um they just like dabble in everything and that 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 gives them that fluidity to be able to move through different genres appeal to different audiences and it's it's the thing that makes them different from everyone else they don't they don't have to subscribe to one genre they are the genre and that's one of the things which gives them that appeal and they can be they can be bluesy and appeal to teenagers or they can do kind of lovey-dovey stuff which appeals to an older audience or a more mature audience or parents or whatever and that's that's part of the genius of of who they are none of that is reflected in our cry instead <laughs> sorry yeah. i'll cry instead. i want to be more positive about this song i i do think it's an important song in some ways because i do think it is their first attempt to kind of grapple with writing in this kind of style i just i i struggle to find it much more than a throwaway i'm not particularly convinced by the biographical nature of 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 the thing i'm 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 sure far be it for me to argue with cynthia lennon obviously sorry cynthia if you're listening um but uh i i i i'm not wholly convinced by that and i'll say one thing though something i haven't really mentioned so far something neither of us have mentioned is the musicality on it which is to say that um this is another one of these songs where like when when i started talking about it at the top of the podcast i i, I said it, it was slight it is but McCartney is doing amazing things on bass in this song. Like, he is all over the place. He's got a lovely little kind of country bass line through it. He shifts into a, a, a walking bass line um, during the... Oh, what section is it? Um, uh, show you what you love a man can do. Until the, yeah, all that stuff. He's got this lovely walking bass line, which then cuts back again. So he's, he's playing in two very distinct genres, but he manages to meld them together. It's an incredibly... It's by far and away, musically at least, I would say it's by far and away the best thing about this song. McCartney is really going for it in a way that... <laughs> I'm not really sure if this song justifies. I'm glad he does because it gives me something to talk about. But it's it's a phenomenal baseline in this song. It really, really is. So there's um, two cover versions uh, that I was going to mention. Um, primarily, I'm, I'm going to link to the point about the bass part in a sec. Um, primarily, I'm going to mention them because they are very well regarded artists who don't really do very much different with the song yeah, so there's a billy joel a billy joel take your pick version in which he does in in terms of the vocal you know raise the game a little bit towards the end but in only i think in order to emphasize um or take away the emphasis of the fact that the song is just repeating itself um at this stage you know that's just to get it over two minutes and the other one is of course by one of your your least favorite um, Beatles cover version artists and that's Joe Cocker now the Joe we obviously will come back to Joe Cocker cover versions uh, later on folks a long way down the line probably in about 2025 but um, this version is vocally it's all right it's not him doing anything particularly different but it does have a double bass and the the double bass work is really noticeable at times and it, it certainly adds and fills and develops in a way that yeah yeah you know mccartney is doing but mccartney's doing it on the basis of you know well we know the song quite well it's okay we're just going to knock it out and get it done so he's giving it good work but you know if you give people the time to listen to it and develop it well then you get kind of double bass on um on the joe cocker version but that's well worth a listen 
uh, just to see how much that that really does add to it but yeah the the song itself is um um you know it it's it's weird because the you know the verse is is quite fine you know quite good it sort of gets you to the point where you think okay now it's going to take off in um in whatever you want to call it some say chorus some say say middle eight but then it just feels like that is made up on the spot and has some really weird um development from line to line and it kind of goes you know the first line okay fine right we're going to build from here but then the second line develops in a way you don't expect it to and you don't really hear anyone else do it almost as though people have listened to it and thought hmm, okay that's how not to write a chorus <laughs> it's it's interesting you said that because i think one of the things that i i struggle with when it comes to this song is that i find it I find it unconvincing. And when I say unconvincing, this this links back to the thing I mentioned before about how Lennon's voice is kind of a bit thin on it and a bit kind of almost ineffectual. Like Lennon is usually good at being able to give like a, a sh well, what I think you've called it a shouty performance. Um, and, you know, yeah. that does often help to cover up sometimes the paucity of, of some of the lyrics. But like, I, I, I realize again that this is playing with the genre, but that, that line about... Um, uh, I'll show you what a loving man can do. Like, that needs to be sung by somebody who's really got some oomph beside that. Whereas on the record, it sounds like somebody yeah. who's just seen a pair of boobs in the sun. It, it's like, it's so kind of like 14-year-old, you know? It's like, it's wildly unconvincing. And that's unusual for Lennon. Like, like if there's one thing that Lennon can normally sell, it's this kind of like masculinity, this kind of masculine version of himself. And here it just, it sounds so kind of... I'm going to do this. I'm going to have all the girls. No, you're not, mate. Just yeah. come away and get over yourself. It's it's weirdly unconvincing. And I, I, I feel that atmosphere kind of permeates the song and, and, and kind of undercuts it. It's also trying to crowbar a bit too much into one line as well, which which probably, uh, yeah. probably doesn't help. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. You can't really find much out about Lennon and what he actually thought about um, country music. I've not been able to find anything. No, um, I couldn't really find much either. So I, I don't really know what his background is, although there is one story of him uh, meeting um, Waylon Jennings um, at the Grammys, I think, in 1975, and you know him sending uh, Waylon Jennings um, a letter, uh, which is quite sweet. I think the two of them, you know, Waylon Jennings basically said he didn't realise uh, that, that Lennon, or rather he thought Lennon would be a bigger dick than he actually was. And, and Lennon says something about, that's right, in the UK, we just think you wave guns around and shoot people all the time. Um, you know, which might relate to a little bit of Waylon Jennings' reputation. But here we go. Here's something that, that I forgot. And let's, let's kind of circle back around to um, other links to, to the Beatles. Um, of course, because Wayne and Jennings, um, apart from, you know, being famous um, in terms of country music, uh, has one other really unfortunate claim to fame. Um, and listener, I'm going to insert a brief pause. Or alternatively, you could just press pause now so you can have a little think, because I will give the answer in five, two... He's the person who gave up his seat to the Big Bopper before that flight because he was in Buddy Ollie's band. There you go. 
steps back from the mic. Of course, you all knew that, didn't you? I have to look these things up on the internet to, to try and look clever. And even now you're thinking, yeah, but why did you say Buddy Holly's band and not the cricket, crickets? Everybody knows it's the crickets. Think, yeah, all right. Slip of the tongue. Right. OK, back in your box, listener. I'm, 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 I'm curious as to what, uh, what effect you think insulting our listeners that way will have on our <laughs> listenership. And, uh, well, I'm, I'm working I, on the I, basis... I admire your experiment and I'm looking forward to the results. I'm, I'm working on the basis that, that being nice to them hasn't enabled them to get in touch so far. So uh, so let's try a little bit of a, a abuse and see if we get any response to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's, uh, that's an interesting strategy. Right, good, yes. <laughs> Lovely. Um, yeah. I've got an answer to your next question. What's my next question? Well, I'm not going to tell you, but my answer is five. Okay, good. That I don't really have much else to say about this song. Five feels about right to me. Uh, well, let me just see now. What have I given five to? What have I given five to? Uh, I'll get you. There's a place. Uh, yeah, five. Five. Yeah, five. Is that decided? I think that's decided. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, but I think that's also evidence <laughs> that even for a um, um, you know a bang average Beatles track, there's tons of interesting stuff that you can um, get into. You know, um, there's there's so much of that contextual information that that's that's really really useful. And by the way. Um, I was going to mention earlier, but the conversation went drifting off into uh, something else. And here's something to link back to our previous episode, uh, in which I I railed against the uh, the quality of Rolling Stone magazine's website. Um, in most of the sources, um, that that um, it is the raging Texans, but on Rolling and and you know related to Rory Storm on Rolling Stone. Um, Rolling Stones website it suggests that it's Ringo who joined the raving Texans so I'm prepared to bear in mind that I really really dislike what the Rolling Stone website does to my computer prepared to admit that I think they must be in the wrong and you know what Rolling Stone sue me brackets please don't um, because I haven't got any money so yeah Good. Well, before we descend further into litigation and unnecessary personal abuse and or technical competency, um, let's just wrap it up there and move on. So, as mentioned at the top of the show, you can get in contact with us by email. We are Beatlesstuffology at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at Beatles underscore ology. And you can find my blog at www.jgmacquarie.scot and Andrew's blog at www.stuffology.co.uk. Also, please check out my other podcast, Talking Trek to You, where a noob and an expert go through the original Star Trek episode by episode. Please like, rate and review us on whatever podcast you're using so that more people can find the show. Next episode, we carry on uh, through the arse end of uh, Hard Day's Night and we get to the middle portion of this site, which means we will be covering things we said today. And we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then, keep listening.